Hello and welcome back to the Back to Go podcast. My name is Cameron Smith and I'll be your host today as ever. Um, and I'm joined by Jamie Monks and today we're going to be going through our World Cup team of the tournaments. But first, we'll speak about your uh, experience back at Old Trafford, Jamie, obviously. Um, season ticket holder at Old Trafford. Um, back to watch Man United play against Burnley in the Carabao Cup. Good performance? Uh, yes. Yeah. Just, I think what you'd expect from a, a first game back in you know a month and a bit, slightly sluggish, you know. But Burnley, I thought looked a bit a bit sharper. I'd say in in terms of, I mean, even just the way they were warming up, they just looked a bit sharper. Just <laughs> just from you know that they've had games in between uh, now and the World Cup. Um, but yeah, no, overall, yeah, happy to be back because you know it's been a while since I've been there. I think the last time. Was that Arsenal win back in? I think I think it was first of September. Um, mm. So it's, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, it's good to get to win. I just want to speak about the Rashford goal because uh, I remember mm. at the time thinking, "Why isn't he passing it?" Because you got Bruno and Garnacho over on the left. Please pass the ball, you idiot! And then he dribbled past <laughs> the defenders and just scored. And I went, "Oh, okay, fair enough." Because <laughs> everyone yeah. around me as well was like, "Going pass the ball, you idiot!" And then, oh, goal. Yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, nice to see Rashford sort of continue that form from the World Cup where he sort of became pretty reliable goal scorer when he had the chance for England. And yeah, nice to see him get back on the score sheet. Um, and obviously, yeah, good for United to get the win. Obviously, the draws happen for the next round and they've got their, well, the easiest draw of uh, Charlton at home. So you'd imagine that's very high chance of them getting to the, the semi-final of the Carabao Cup, which obviously... Gives you know Ten Hag a great chance of silver on his first season, and I think he'll. That's sort of one thing you can probably tick off. You get a cup, cup in your first season. Obviously, was it twenty seventeen your last trophy? So if he can tick yeah. off in his first year, I think that can probably be considered a success, and he's got a great chance of that now. And um, we'll quickly delve into City versus Liverpool before we get on to our World Cup team of the tournament, because obviously that's just happened as of recording. Um, for sort of a month away. Um, of club football action, it didn't really look like it because this was a, a very typical Liverpool v City game where it's end to end, almost a basketball game at times, and just the quality on show was was pretty immense for you know players who haven't played together for a month and also some youngsters in there as well. So it was nice to see that yeah, club football's back and it was a game of such high caliber, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what I would like to say is, uh. <laughs> Jamie Carragher every two minutes going. I haven't seen a game of this quality in a while. So there was there was no game as good as this at the World Cup. Just screams a man who's so jealous that ITV didn't pick him up to, to go over <laughs> to Qatar. Yeah, I just I just found it really weird because we've just seen possibly one of the best games ever in France Argentina in that final, and then to yeah. say, nah, nah, this is better. The Carabao fourth Carabao Cup fourth round so much better. Um, I just thought I just thought it was pretty odd, um, but the game itself was you know very good. I always find with the with the City Liverpool games, the games at the Etihad are always better. I, I don't know why that is, but perhaps a City just a little bit intimidated by the Liverpool atmosphere. But I, I find they're a lot more end to end, a lot more chaotic and erratic in in the way that both teams play, uh, and it certainly served up that tonight. Yeah, yeah, good point actually. I think obviously, you know, both you know, grounds are pretty 
um, sort of good hosts for the games. I think the Anfield games are still pretty good. I remember the the two all game where Foden scored um, was a really good game. But yeah, I think that's a good point to make. And um, it was nice to see obviously Haaland nine minutes in, pretty inevitable that he got got on the score sheet in this game. And the other talking point was sort of the striker for Liverpool, Darwin Nunes, obviously had three of the exact same chance and he put it exactly the same place every time dragging it wide and it's it's a shame because it does just scream a player who's just completely lacking confidence like has the pace in behind us shown for Salah's goal to cause a problem um sort of just reminds me a little bit of Timo Werner's time at Chelsea where there's bright spots when he does get to utilize his pace in behind but then the finishing just isn't there because the confidence just isn't there at all um and it's probably Klopp's job here to get that man management right, which is something that Klopp's been praised for quite a lot during his time at Liverpool. He's got to get that right with Nunes because otherwise you spent, what, 80 million euros on a player who's just isn't going to work because he's got the talent to be a useful you know, asset to Liverpool if they use him in the right way. But then if he's going to get all these chances, there's no point if he's not going to score any of them. So I think that Klopp's got a big probably six to 12 months ahead of him in terms of man managing Nunes just as much as sort of improving him you know, his finishing and training and stuff. Like, it's just the man management side of getting that confidence up because those misses just scream a player who just doesn't have any confidence in front of a goal, especially that that last one where he just is looking across goal to see if there's an option to pass it when he's literally inside the box of a chance to shoot. It just, it's a it's slightly worrying, really, because if you, the roles are reversed and you've got Haaland there, there's literally no chance he looks for a pass and yet Nunes just seems a little bit scared to shoot and it is worrying that, you know, six months into his time at Liverpool, there's already the confidence has gone. And it's something we saw with Werner, who's now just had to return to Leipzig to find some form again. Yeah. Um, it, it was the same for the chance in the first half as well. I think he was looking across for the you know, potential square ball as well. And obviously when he when he gets in, in front of goal uh, for, for Liverpool second, he's, he's obviously, he sees Salah on his right and thinks, yes, this is a way where I cannot... <laughs> <laughs> have an attempt on goal easy assist bosh um but i just yeah no it's it's weird because yeah i think it is a, a very sort of timo Werner sort of situation we're in right now where we, we keep saying oh he keeps getting it look at his movement he keeps getting into the right positions he's creating a lot of chances he's creating chaos which is a, a phrase that liverpool <laughs> fans love to love to larp on about when are we going to start seeing this 80 million well he's probably not he's not an 80 million player right now definitely but he, he probably wouldn't have been at his best uh if, if he sort of you know reaches his potential um but it's 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 the consistent drags of the finish which are quite worrying because yeah. usually after usually after the first one you think right next chance I get I've got to make sure I just hit the target and and don't you know try and go for that far corner because I I, I keep dragging it, and he he just didn't seem to learn from his his mistake at all. It was you know quite odd just to see him fail over and over again with that same finish. Yeah, it's something certainly to work on um, for Liverpool. And it will be pretty crucial to their season. Obviously, Luis Diaz um, has had his injury problems. Diogo Jota has had his injury problems, and Nunes will probably be starting in their front three, whether that's on the left or through the middle, um, quite a lot over the next few months. So Klopp needs to get something right because. You can't keep missing chances like that um, with Liverpool if they want to get into the top four this season. And it will cost them because, yeah, like I said, the goals have got to come from somewhere. And although they did score two tonight, that's, you're not always going to guarantee to get goals from elsewhere when your striker's missing chances like that. Um, we'll get on to, just lastly on the game, Kevin De Bruyne has been 
praised a lot online for his performance, obviously deservedly so. The crosses that he put him, especially in the first half, were, were spectacular and it's a direct contrast to what we saw at the World Cup and it is just interesting to see the, the disparity in his performances for Belgium uh, and for Man City here tonight. Would you, do you think there's anything behind that, that, any reason why he was so poor at the World Cup and as the first game back for Man City has been so good? Is it literally just that, that Guardiola's system just suits him a lot more than Martinez's? Well, yeah, with with City, he just plays in zones that he's way more comfortable in. You know, he's playing in a front three for, for Belgium under Martinez, where when it's a front three in a in a four uh, in a three four three, you're going to be quite narrow. You're going to be quite high, and you're not going to be able to sort of drift out onto the, uh, that right and sort of channel where he thrives the most, because that's that's the job of the right wing back, whether that's you know uh, Munier or you know somebody else. Um, I, I just think it is. You know, he's 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 back at his natural habitats where you know he's he's thrived for so long. You know, on that right hand side, just whipping them balls. In. I mean, we, we we saw that cross in the first half. So I think who was it got the head Nathan, on it? I think it, Nathan Ake should have scored. Yeah, it was yeah, it was Ake. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean that that's the quality that you know the the Bruno possesses when he's in his you know his sort of favorite post position to use a basketball phrase. Uh. <laughs> And yeah, no, I, I just think it, it is pretty peculiar that there's this world class player that we we see all the time at City with Kevin De Bruyne, but he can't translate that when he plays higher up. It uh, I just find it quite a peculiar scenario. Yeah, it is it is weird, and it's I know something that the next Belgian manager will have to try and fix, whether that's a change in shape or slightly changing his role in the same system. Um, because De Bruyne at that World Cup was a shadow of the player we saw tonight. Um, and it's something to fix, that is for sure. Right then, we've spent enough time talking about the Carabao Cup. Um, the World Cup obviously finished on Sunday. Um, so we're going to now just go into our team of the tournament. Um, but with a slight twist, because simply picking sort of 11 players from any nation possible could get slightly boring and there's a high high likelihood that, that me and Jay would have pretty similar teams and similar teams to what you've seen banded around um, online as well. And to avoid that, we've created a rule where you can only have one player from each nation, um, which means that hopefully um, we have slightly different teams who can sort of debate over the picks that we have made. Obviously, we haven't seen each other's teams yet. Um, so, Jamie, do you want to get started with who you've picked in goal? Yes, I will, Cameron. Uh, so in goal, uh, I, I think it, uh, across the board, it's, it's been between two keepers mainly. Actually, maybe three with Bono. Um, but I've gone for Lovakovic for okay. my goalkeeper. Nice. Uh, I, I just think across the tournament, I, I think Martinez had higher peaks, obviously, you know, saving a penalty in, in a World Cup final. Is you know almost the pinnacle for a goalkeeper, but I, I just think across across the tournament as a whole, I think Lavakovic was a lot more consistent. I think his save percentage was a lot higher from from the stats I was checking before, um, and I, I think that there were there were times where Argentina were conceding goals that maybe they shouldn't have because you know maybe uh, Emmy's wrists were slightly weak and the the, um, the Saudi Arabia winner in the first game where they lost. Um, I think he could, on a different day, he probably should save that because he does mm. get a decent hand to it. Um, I, I don't really remember, you know, Lovakovic having a mistake like that. 
Yeah, I think it was a good shout. Lovakovic, obviously penalty heroics for Croatia. Um, and I think, yeah, those those two plus Bono were probably the three outstanding goalkeepers um, in the tournament. But for me, uh, I'll go into my goalkeeper pick then. Uh, slightly different because I wanted some outfield players from Morocco, Argentina and Croatia. So I went for Wojciech Szczesny. Um I'm not the biggest fan of Szczesny. Uh, I've said that on the podcast as well. I, I don't particularly rate him as a goalkeeper. Um, but I think that he was probably Poland's best player in the tournament. Um, obviously, clean sheet in the first game, 0-0 draw of Mexico, he made four saves in that game. Uh, in the 2-0 win over Saudi Arabia, he made five saves, including one penalty saves. Um, and then he made nine saves, including one penalty saves, in their loss to Argentina. Obviously, was the only goalkeeper to save a, a Lionel Messi penalty um, in the tournament. Um, in including shootouts, Messi took seven penalties, scored six of them, and Chesney was the only one to save them. Um, and I think that all things considered, with sort of countries, I wanted you know Moroccans, um, Argentina player, and a Croatia player outfield. I think that Chesney is is the pick I went for, and I think that he probably didn't have as good a tournament as Lavakovic, and it certainly wasn't as prolonged. Obviously, Poland got knocked out um, in the last sixteen, but I think that Chesney. On the balance of thing, had a really good tournament for a player that I don't particularly rate that highly at club level. Mm. Uh, do you think? Do you think uh, Messi missing that penalty against Chesney just made him sort of rethink his penalty strategy? Because after that, apart from the Netherlands game, he did go for the sort of slow run up, sort of hop, skip, and jump Jorginho technique. Yeah, I think he's Messi's sort of majority of his career has been a pretty average penalty taker. Um, and I think he's, since he's gone to PSG, I do think he's sort of changed his penalty technique a little bit, maybe where he's seen Neymar do it in training and slightly sort of taken notes from that and tried to implement it in his own game. But yeah, like the penalties that he scored against um, France, like that the slow run completely sits down the race. I think there's definitely, he's definitely learned from that, I think, and that's the sign of a great player. So um, yeah, I think that's probably a, a good show. Um, go on then, we'll go on to your right back then. I'm intrigued to see who you have here because I think the right back is... A position that was fairly weak throughout the tournament. I think fullbacks were actually quite weak throughout the tournament. There were one or two standouts, but they'd sort of played for nations that you wanted other players in. Yeah, uh, but I think I did probably go for the safe option when it comes to right back. I did go for Ashraf Hakimi. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think his performance level throughout the tournament, yeah, throughout the tournament again, is very consistent. Perhaps not, uh, you know, delivering the, the attacking returns. We sort of thought he might have in this tournament um, but obviously you know he plays a lot higher up for PSG uh, than he does for Morocco so that's sort of expected. I, I thought defensively um, he definitely showed a lot more sort of nous and sort of ability when when it comes to defending them. You know tough, tough 1v1 scenarios because I mean there's been times at PSG where defensively he's been you know sort of a passenger but I thought he definitely stepped up big time and you know, going into the tournament, he was sort of earmarked as the talisman for Morocco, and I think ultimately he did deliver for him. Yeah, Hakimi was. Yeah, I did go into the tournament thinking that him at fullback rather than wingback, despite his quality, was still actually a weird, weirdly a, a bit of a liability for Morocco just because of his defensive contributions. Obviously, going forward, brilliant, but defensively, I think he is suspect. But he sort of put some of those. Um, you know, sort of doubts to bed, I guess. Um, so hopefully that's something that can translate to club football. Obviously at PSG, yeah, much more likely to play at right wing back. Although Gaultier has sometimes used a back four um during the last few games before the World Cup. Um, 
But Hakimi's shown that he can play in the back four if needed, which is probably a good thing for his development because he was slowly becoming sort of a player who can only play at wing back a, a little bit like Denzel Dumfries. Um, and that's slightly concerning because you definitely do want to be able to play right back as well as right wing back if you are in that position because it sort of just allows you to go play in so many more systems and be so much more useful. Um, but for me, obviously, I, I wanted to keep my Morocco slot open for midfield. Um, so I went for Juranovic. Um, obviously, Croatia right back, you use your Croatia slot in goal. Um, but I think that, yeah, along with Hakimi, Juranovic was probably the next best right back. I think Hakimi was better throughout the tournament. Um, I can acknowledge that. But just on the balance of things, I think Juranovic was the better pick for me. I think Gvardiol's a little bit unlucky to miss out because I think that obviously he's not made either of our teams. But I think he was probably the best centre-back in the tournament. But in the sort of right-back slot, I couldn't really think of anyone else to put other than Juranovic. I think that sort of Dumfries was good offensively. Walker was good when he actually played, but obviously missed much of the group stages because of injury. Um, and I wanted to use my Morocco slot in midfield, like I mentioned. So I went for Juranovic. Um, against Brazil was sort of the game that stood out to me, um, probably stood out to most people, um, which has seen him linked with moves away from Celtic. But he won five out of his five ground duels against Brazil. Up against Vinicius Junior, he's probably been the best out-and-out sort of left-winger in world football over the last 12 months, um, which is certainly an impressive feat to say he sort of locked Vinicius down for the most part during that game um, and also made three key passes in the Brazil game. So a two-way fullback, and I think that that game certainly helped him being picked uh, in my team. Um, but I think that throughout the tournament, he was pretty solid. And I think that Croatia sort of looked a lot worse um, in that third place playoff when uh, he didn't play. Um, so yeah, Juranovic gets my pick. I think that throughout the tournament, he was he was very good, caught my eye. Um, and is probably one that may be moving clubs in January or next summer based on how he played at this World Cup. I'm amazed that you didn't pick Vardiol. I, I thought as soon as you chose Chesney as a keeper, I thought, oh, Vardiol's a locket now. But yeah, I. It wow. was so. It was very close. I did. I did really, really want to put Guardiola in, but I just couldn't. I was. I was really tempted to sort of cheat and put like a centre back at right back. Um, one of the right-footed centre-backs that I've got in my team, put them at right-back, but I didn't feel that was right, so I decided to go with an out-and-out right-back. And Yeah, I thought Guardia was really good, but again, I, I think that there were other centre-backs who were also really good, whereas right-back was a little bit less. There weren't as many right-backs who sort of impressed me as, as much as centre-backs. So, yeah, so it is a little bit surprising, I think, me going not, not going for Guardia, but yeah, that's how it's worked out. Um, do you want to go into your first centre-back then, mate? Uh. Yes, I will. Uh, now, when I was filling out this team, uh, I think centre-backs were the last part I did because I just thought, oh, God. <laughs> but apart from Gvardiol, but I, I thought Lovakovic for me has to be a lock-in. There's, there's, no one to, mm, there's no one who's really stood out big time for me. But then, then I you know, took a deep dive in, into the stats and I found <laughs> that uh, Australia's Harry Suter was pretty spectacular. Yeah, just to, um, before we get any further, I will say that I also included Harry Suter in my team, so we've, we've both selected him. But go on. Yeah, fair play. Um, yeah, no, obviously, you know, part of an Australian team got to the last sixteen, a huge achievement for them in a in a group that they just weren't fancied, you know, to to progress in whatsoever. 
Um, and in that, you know, that big clash in the, in the Denmark game of sort of a, a shoot off between the two teams, you know, he won you know six out of his eight uh, aerial duels, and it, throughout the tournament, five point five clearances per game, which is you know, I think somewhere in the top five for the tournament. So yeah, no, pretty spectacular stuff in, in terms of the numbers, and obviously, you know, a, a part of the game that's you know, helped Australia progress into that last sixteen. Obviously, you know, coming up against the winners, the eventual winners, is going to be a hard task. But you know, Harry Harry Sutil's my pick, and I think he's a bloody brilliant bloke. Yeah, um, he's absolutely massive. I think he's six foot six um, at Stoke, but also pretty comfortable playing out from the back. Um, mm. Yeah, I think he was massive in those wins over Tunisia and Denmark. Obviously, both were one nil wins, so that defensive structure was was basically what saw Australia make it out the groups when most people, including us, had, had sort of written them off. Um, across those games against Tunisia and Denmark, just to go for a few more stats, obviously, it was in those two games, it was fifteen clearances, four block shots, and twelve duels won. Um, so yeah, he was a he was a colossus for them, and and a, a massive reason why they were able to keep keep those two clean sheets, which basically meant that they were to able to get through the groups and and make it to the last sixteen. Obviously, only lost two one to to Argentina, who won the tournament. So a pretty impressive showing from Australia when yeah most people didn't think they were going to do particularly well, and Suter was was a standout for them and. One of the reasons why I didn't include Guardiola in my team because I thought Suter was was brilliant whenever I watched him and also stood out in the stats as well. Right then, mate, we've done Suter. We've both had it in. Are we going to have the exact same centre back next to him or not? Uh, I hope not. I don't think we will. Uh, I've gone for a fairly big name, uh, but when I was taking a, a deep dive, um, I thought he stood out, you know, pretty pretty well, uh, and that's Kaladu Kulabali. Mm-hmm. Nice. I haven't included him, so go on. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, obviously, um, you know, the elephant in the room is you know the winning goal against Ecuador, that that tremendous volley to to take him to the round of sixteen, um, and uh, I think he was top um, in in the tournament for clearances per ninety with seven point five as well. So, um, yeah. How, how could I not pick him? As soon as I yeah, saw seven point five clearances, <laughs> yeah, that is pretty thought, insane. Wow, yeah. he's he's got to be in. I, I know uh, he, he wasn't great against England. He, he, I think Senegal didn't perform to their best, like in, in terms of their potential against England, and that's why we probably did, you know, win so comfortably. But you know, to make it out of the group after that loss against Netherlands was, you know, huge, and you know, Koulibaly was one of the big reasons for it. Yeah, I think it's a great shout. I think Koulibaly was impressive in the group stages, was probably one of Senegal's best players. Um, but I haven't gone for him. I've instead gone for Rodri. Um, obviously playing Ooh, out obviously nice, playing yeah. out of position um for Spain alongside his club teammate Laporte sent about just to basically counteract the fact that Eric Garcia is not very good at football. Um and Pau Torres is left footed, you don't really want a left footer on the right. Um so I was a little surprised when I saw Rodri at centre back in that first game, but that continued throughout the tournament. I think that he was probably Spain's best player. Um, obviously, playing out of position, you expect him still to be able to dominate the ball, um, which is what he did against Morocco. He completed 207 passes um, and obviously they couldn't you know, get the job done in the attacking end, sort of finish their chances. But he won 11 duels in that game, um, did his part. Obviously, made a brilliant challenge against Jadira um, when coming back um, to defend. And I think that... 
yeah, Rodri was solid throughout the tournament and, and didn't really put a foot wrong throughout the tournament. It was just Spain's sort of lack of cutting edge that cost them that game against against Morocco. And yeah, obviously a nil-nil draw on that game and, and Rodri was, was brilliant defensively and obviously on the ball, like you expect him to be. He's just a player I really like at CDM for City. Um, and at centre-back, I thought he didn't really look out of place, even though he's only played there a handful of times at City during that time where they had loads of injuries at centre-back. But I thought he was... He was really good at centre-back and, and one of Spain's few bright sparks in a tournament that ultimately disappointed despite starting with a 7-0 win. Um, so, yeah, Rodri is my pick for centre-back. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, yeah, no, probably fair, actually. Yeah. You just find that a lot of time when you have um, DMs drop into centre-back, especially in you know possession-based sides, that they do just, you know, sort of slotting seamlessly. We've seen it, you know, with Fabinho at times when he's had to play centre-back. Mm-hmm. And even yesterday, when Casemiro played centre back, some, yeah. some of the some of the line breaking passes were just out of this world. I was actually just oh, I was rubbing my hands together at Old Trafford, just thinking, "Wow, what a feast for the eyes!" Because it was beautiful. And yeah, that's that's what Rodri did sort of throughout the whole tournament. To be fair to him, yeah, and I was just keen to get Rodri in that team. As soon as I didn't pick Vardy, I was and and Rodri were the two that I went to. Um, we'll go to left back then, because this was another one that I found. Quite difficult, actually, because Mateo Hernandez has got a lot of praise and has been in a lot of team of the tournaments, but Mbappe exists. And also, I don't think Teo Hernandez was as good as some people are making out to be. And there were uh, maybe a little bit of dearth of, of left-back talent that sort of impressed, really. Um, but who got your pick? Uh, yeah, I was definitely scrambling around, to be honest, for left-backs. Um, yeah, no one really did stand out. Yeah, I, I agree with you that you know, Teo was probably quite overrated when it comes to his level of performance uh, especially against I mean that game against England he was I mean suspect at the best very of times. bad yeah yeah um but I've gone for the old stalwart daily blind <laughs> so have I <laughs> have you oh yeah, I, went, you, I went daily blind you rapscallion yeah, no, I just, I just thought that Daily Blind just is that solid 7 out of 10 player and he showed it once again at the, at the World Cup with the added bonus of a goal and assist against the USA as well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Literally, I put down his goal and assist against USA played a massive part in me picking him, um, but I just thought he was solid throughout. I was tempted to put kind of cheat and put Ake at left back because he played left centre back in the back three, so effectively him and Blind both didn't really play left back, but... I went for Blind. I was impressed by Ake, to be fair. I thought he was very good. Um, but Blind got the nod. I think, yeah, like you said, he was just 7 out of 10, didn't put a foot wrong. And in a tournament where there were left-backs who just didn't really impress me that much, he's the one that sort of got my vote and, and got your vote as well. So um, it sh- shows we agree, I, at least. Yeah, yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, I did also flirt with the idea of Estupinan as well, just because I thought oh, yeah. it, he was... He was decent in the group stages, wasn't he? He, he performed yeah. to a decent level. He, he was one of the Ecuador standouts. Um, mm. But eventually I did opt for Blind just because. Yeah. You know, maybe the goal and the assist against USA probably swayed me a little bit. Yeah, I think it did for me. But yeah, Estupinan's a great shout. I didn't even think about him, to be fair. But yeah, he was impressive for me as well. Um, right then, we'll go on to midfield. We're both playing a 4-3-3. Um, probably should have said that at the top. Um, but 4-3-3, have you gone with a DM and, and two eights, or have you gone slightly different? Yeah, yeah, mate, come on. Right, I have a feeling I, we I, might I know, have... I know how to do these combined 11s. You know? uh, this is my <laughs> first rodeo. You have, have to feeling... have one DM and two eights. I have a feeling we might have gone for the same DM, but... Let's see. Who have you gone for there? 
Well, I, I don't know, because you've got your Morocco slot open, so I'm thinking you've got Amrabat. No, I haven't got Amrabat. Wow. Uh, well, I went my favourite bloke ever, Casemiro. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. Um, yeah, I was tempted by Amrabat, but I went for his uh, another Morocco player um, in the eleven. But yeah, for Casemiro, I, th- I think Thiago Silva ran him close in the Brazil team, um, but you kind of had to include a Brazil player, and I think that Casemiro was their best player, like by a long stretch, really. The goal against Switzerland also had five interceptions in that game and was just brilliant throughout, and I'm sure you agree. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, you know, sing sing his praises high enough, to be honest. Every, every time I watch him, he just takes... Uh, apart from the, the big blip, I think, is the Croatia game, perhaps because he didn't have, you know, quite the help defensively. Yeah. That maybe That's what shouldn't. I think it is. I think in uh, that game, when you're against those three midfielders, having Neymar in the midfield three just isn't going to help you that much. But apart from that, he was just... Every game, I was just you know, taken away by his, his level of performance. Uh, it, was, it was a range of passing, especially in the first game against Serbia, where uh, he, he did that line-breaking pass to Neymar, and I just thought, I cannot believe he's playing for us. How? I mean, and I, I know his sell-by dates, you know, probably two or three years away potentially, but I just thought, how? How did we get him? <laughs> at sort of the peak of his career, because I, I think now he is, you know, definitely getting his flowers in terms of just realising how good he is. And he, I think for me, he's one of you know, the all-time defensive midfielders. Yeah, for sure. Um, and he was, he was as you expected, I think, at this tournament. Um, went into it thinking he was going to play a massive part given how Brazil play Neymar in, in midfield. Um, and he mopped up, really, giving Neymar creative freedom. Obviously, didn't mm. pay off in that Croatia game, but they were, what, three minutes away from going through in that game if Petkovic hadn't scored that goal. Um, so it almost worked. And I think Casemiro was... It was really good all tournament. Um, and as I said, obviously, I've not gone Aaron back in midfield. Um, I went for his, well, other, I went for another Morocco midfielder, and that is Azadine Unahi. Um, I think Amrabat was slightly more consistent throughout the tournament. I think Amrabat certainly had a better group stages than Unahi, but I think in the knockouts, Unahi maybe just edged him. Um, and with Casemiro in there, I didn't want to play two DMs. Um, so in terms of functionality, that maybe swayed me a little bit into picking Unahi um, over Amrabat, who is slightly unlucky to miss out. But I think that, yeah, Unahi just showed why he shouldn't be at Angers. was just so silky, so smooth on the ball. Um, the game against Spain was just really, really impressive. He just stood out like a sore thumb. And I thought that, yeah, he was just incredible in that game. And, um, yeah, deserving of a spot in, in my team. Also, use your Morocco shout by going for Hakimi. I've gone for Unahi, and I'm pretty happy that I managed to save my Morocco spot to include him because I think he was brilliant throughout the tournament. Yeah, I think that's what you find when you get to the latter stages of knockout tournaments, especially you know, World Cup and Champions League and, and the Euros as well, is you can't put a price on you know press resistance and ability to, you know, mm-hmm. to beat players like, like they're not even there. And and that's what you know. And now he showed definitely over Amrabat in, in in the latter stages. Right then, mate. Do you want to go on to your first uh, number eight, your second central midfielder, and your midfield three? Then I've gone for Unahi. Who've you gone for? I've gone for Birmingham-based Jude Bloody Bellingham, mate. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that definitely the stand, you know, the standout performer for for England at this World Cup. I think. <sighs> 
but the, the the way that you know forward players were rotated and sort of Rashford got a, a moment there, then it was Saka and then it was Foden and Sterling. I, th- I think in terms of you know offensive players, he was definitely the, the standout. I'm, I'm probably just full stop in the England team. Um, just once again so consistent. I mean. Apart from maybe the USA game where they did get a little bit dominated in midfield, never really sort of dropped dropped off too much in terms of performance levels. And obviously, um, you know, that, that that first goal against Iran, beautiful. The the assist against um the assist against Wales as well. Oh, not Wales, uh, Senegal for, for Henderson. For Henderson. Very nice yeah. as well. Yeah. Um the, the the third man run that he's so good at making. Very nice, and I just think, yeah, yeah, he deserves a place in there because not many England players do, apart from him. Yeah, I, I've gone for actually someone different um, from England, um, but I won't say that just yet. But just on Bellingham, yeah, I think that he was superb. That Senegal game, I think, was the standout game for him. Um, obviously, assist for Henderson, but also the run, role well. he, yeah, the role he yeah. played for Kane's goal, where he sort of yeah. evaded the challenge in midfield um, from Mendy, I think it was. That was mm. just brilliant. That was just typical Bellingham, just driving with the ball. Like that's when he's at his best. Um, and I think that Senegal game was just like one of those ones where you stand up and just go, yeah, he is just an unbelievable football player, um, and probably deserving of the price tag that's been banded around his head, um, and that will cost to get him out of Borussia Dortmund, um, which will probably happen next summer when some club snaps him up for a hundred million pounds and. He'll go on to have a great career at whatever club he ends up going to, whether that's Real Madrid, whether that's Liverpool. But um, yeah, I think at the World Cup, um, Bellingham was superb. Um, and yeah, maybe I, w- I was very, very close to picking him. Um, but I just, I wanted to pick someone else, basically. And I thought that you would pick Bellingham. And I also wanted to make things a little bit different. Um, Who was one There was one other England England player that I thought that was superb throughout the tournament. Um and he's coming up in a little bit. But before we get on to that, do you want to go into your other central midfielder then? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, sorry, I was just a little bit bewildered by your <laughs> non-Bellingham pick, to be honest, when it comes to England. Um, so I've gone for... Hmm, it's a player that I don't usually rate, to be honest, and I just thought uh, Portugal did get to the quarterfinals, so I probably should pick him. It's Bruno Fernandes. Um Straight away from the group stage, you, you could see he was sort of locked into his very, very wasteful, but gets a goal and assist to sort of cover it up sort of era. That, that, he, that he was so well, uh, so good at performing uh, when he first joined uh, you know, United. Yeah, I, think, I think I saw a stat recently that was like, um, when he first joined United uh, from 2020 to 2021, he got 54 goals and assists, which was like, um, what? Oh, uh, better than what Lionel Messi did for the Ballon d'Ors, you know, it makes you think a little bit about um, I don't know what exactly, just goals and assists run sort of narratives these days, probably. Um, what were your takes on that? Well, I've also got Bruno Fernandez in my team. Um, I was very tempted to put him at right wing um, and have Bellingham in central midfield because obviously Fernandez played. Well, sort of starting position was on that right wing for Portugal, but he sort of came inside into central areas quite a lot of the time, which is where most of his good work came from. Obviously, that goal that wasn't given a goal for Ronaldo that was given as Bruno's goal came from sort of the left side. So it was clear he was given a pretty free roaming role for Portugal and sort of interchanging with Bernardo Silva as well. 
Um, so yeah, I went for Bruno in central midfield. I think that yeah, you make a good point. Like Bruno's technique and and style of play is sort of the hit and hope a lot of the time, but half the time it works and half the time it doesn't. And the, it was sort of on the time of working um, in this tournament. Obviously, two goals, three assists, um, nine key passes in just four games. Um, and yeah, for that Portugal team, he was probably the standout. Obviously, Goncalo Ramos had that one game where he scored a hat trick, but only you know had that game and then sort of was pretty anonymous against Morocco. And so you can't really include him. I don't think that Bernardo Silva was at his best for that tournament. I don't think he was particularly poor, but I don't think he was at his best. Shao Felix was someone who was, I was tempted to pick because I do think he had a good tournament. But again, I think Bruno was better than him. So yeah, Bruno's who I went for. Um, so he's made it into both our teams, despite neither of us particularly rating him too highly um, as a player. So, you know, there's a, there's a surprise in this team after all, that's for sure. Right, mate, do you want to go into your... We'll start with your right winger then. I think the left wing is pretty obvious. So we'll go for your right winger, please, mate. Uh, right wing, I went... Oh, <laughs> I, went I went Lionel Messi just in terms of... Yeah, okay. yeah I, I put him right wing. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the, the centre-forward pick might surprise you a little bit. Um, but right wing, Lionel Messi, yeah, seven goals, 11... A few of them were penalties, to be fair to him. And, um, I mean, Quite a lot yeah, of them were. Yeah, a, a big penalty hater. But, um, you know, w- w- when he is second top goal scorer at the tournament, what what else can you say? Winning the World Cup as well. It, it, obviously not just that, because it's, it's never just goals with Messi. It's the level of performance throughout the whole, the whole, the whole game. You know, the dribbles, the, the creativity, obviously the, the assist um, for Molina in, in that. In that Netherlands quarterfinal, was you know, everyone was sort of scratching their heads, thinking, "How the hell did he see that pass?" Because mm-hmm. you know, us mere mortals wouldn't even think of doing that while dribbling at full speed. Um, and yeah, Lionel Messi. What what else can you say about the bloke? Because I mean, he's had everyone under the sun praising him for the last week or so. Yeah, he's pretty spectacular. Obviously, um, won the Golden Ball. Um, and he and he's in my team. Um, but I didn't go for him at right wing because I went for him up front. So I'll just knock that um out of the way now. Um, I think that yeah, who else are you gonna pick there? Um, for Argentina and you know the player that sort of carried them um throughout um the last sort of decade internationally has been helped out this tournament by playing with some actually good players in a good system under Scaloni. Um. I mean, it says the whole story when you win a penalty shootout, normally everyone just goes and sprints towards the goalkeeper at full pelt. Um, but half of them just went, Messi sort of collapsed to his knees and half of them just went to him and just sort of bundled on top of him. So it sort of just shows that they were all doing that for him. Um, and he was spectacularly throughout the tournament and deserving of the golden ball. Obviously, best player at the tournament. Uh, but I went for him in my striker slot just because most of the games he sort of started um, up front with Alvarez in a 4-4-2. Obviously, it was 4-3-3. He drifted out to the right like he always will, but I just went for him um, through the middle just because I think that's sort of where he he was sort of best in those central areas, um, even though he obviously had moments that were brilliant on the right. Um, So, yeah, I went for him up front, um, but my right winger, you can finally stop scratching your head over my England player, is Bukayo Saka. Um, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I, I... I was very tempted to go to Bellingham. Um and I think he is a little bit unlucky to miss out on my team. But I think that along with Bellingham, Saka was England's best player. Um 
I think that France game was the best example of it. I thought he was unbelievable in that game, like Torte and Andes to shreds. Um, three goals in the tournament as well. Um, obviously scoring that opening game against Iran. Um, and I just think that throughout he was he was brilliant. Like he was a constant threat. Um, and it sort of shows how good he is and how good he's been during this tournament. That despite Marcus Rashford showing showing how good he was um, on that right wing during the start against Wales and the appearance off the bench against Iran, Saka still sort of kept his place as the starter on that right flank. Um, despite Rashford playing so well, and obviously Foden came in at left wing to sort of to displace the likes of Sterling. Obviously went home, but also Rashford. Um, but Saka kept his place, and there's a reason for that. And I think that he was. Brilliant for that tournament. I mean, I love Bukayo Saka. I think he's a brilliant player. I've spoken about it before, like the way he sort of receives the ball um, on his right foot, on his back foot, whenever um, he gets the ball out wide and it just opens up the angle to go and beat your man. Whereas a lot of players take it on their strong foot when they're sort of an inverted winger and then just come inside. Saka doesn't sort of close off the angle to go down the line. And he did it again at the World Cup. And I think he was really good. I think Bellingham's probably maybe got more of the headlines, but I think that Saka was brilliant. I think that throughout the tournament, he was the best right winger, if I'm counting Messi as a striker um, in my team. I think Saka was the best right winger throughout the tournament and I think deserving of a spot in this team because he was brilliant, I thought. Uh, well, I just want to say, well, what, a different, what a difference a year makes or in the space of a year because there was a time, maybe... Eight months ago, where you weren't saying this about Bukayo Saka, you were. Heavily... It was not eight. It was definitely not eight months ago. I can say, I admit, two two years ago, um, in the lead well, up to the. I've got I've got first year and second year uni mixed up. Sorry, what a difference two years makes. <laughs> Eighteen months or so makes. Because I think there, I th- there was a period where you were very heavily critical of Saka, and I I always backed him to the hills. Because you were talking about non-penalty goals since January and stuff, and you were saying, "Ah, oh, he's rubbish." I wasn't saying he's rubbish. I I will admit though that in the lead up to the Euros, I think that um, there's a lot of talk about sort of England's attacking options, and at the time, I mean, yeah, it's amazing what the difference is between now and then. But Jadon Sancho was performing incredibly for Borussia Dortmund and it wasn't just in the Bundesliga it was in the Champions League as well I remember that game at Camp Nou against the against Barcelona he was honestly incredible um, and the reverse fixture as well against Barcelona Sancho was unbelievable um, and at the time I thought that Sancho deserved a spot in England's starting lineup over Bukayo Saka um, and I just wasn't quite convinced that Saka was sort of the player with end product whereas at the time Sancho looked like it obviously now in hindsight the two the two players have had very different career trajectories since that moment um and I can admit that yeah I thought at the time Sancho was a of a high level but now the difference is I can admit yeah Saka's a far far better player obviously Sancho's not returned to Manchester United um and is currently working on his own whereas Saka's I think been England's best player along with Bellingham at a World Cup and is in my team in the tournament so yeah you got sold by the old Sancho Bobbins League of Pump Fake, eh? It's a classic move. Even I fell for it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just, just funny to see how you know opinions change down the years, eh, Cammy boy? Yeah, and I'll be the one to bring it up when you change your mind on Gabriel Martinelli. Um, so no, look forward, look happened. forward to that in two years, mate. When Martinelli's I've... scoring twenty-five goals in the Prem, I've got backbone. I'll always double down. <laughs> I've got a spine. <laughs> 
Right then, mate. You've had Messi on your as your right winger pick, so I'm I am very intrigued to see who your pick is for striker. Who is it? Uh, well, I, I when I put down the formation, I, I said centre forward, which gives mm-hmm. me a bit more wiggle room. Okay. Um, I went for Mohamed Mohamed yeah. Kudus. Yes. Yeah, I thought when you said centre forward, I immediately went, "It's he's going to pick Kudus." Yeah, fair yeah. play. Oh yeah, because he was in that front two, wasn't he? With yeah. With Andre Ayew, when they were playing the back three, uh, especially against—I mean, against Portugal they played the, the back three, um, and also against Uruguay they did as well. Um, I just thought, yeah, no, his, his level, especially in the Korea Republic game, was just exceptional. I think everyone said straight away, "Wow, yeah, we we realised the talent that Kudus had." And now, you know, he's you know, especially this season in the Champions League as well. He's he's been delivering on it, you know, so much. He's he's you know been brilliant. Um, and obviously he scored two goals against Korea. The, 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 I mean, the first one's a, a lovely glancing header. The second one as well. Perhaps the goalkeeper could do better, but it, it's it's a well taken finish. And uh, I, I just thought that the way he progressed, Garner up the pitch, and and, and just the, the dribbles he was completing. Just maybe, just yeah, just think, yeah, he's got to be in it. Yeah, I was, I was really close to picking Kudus. He was one of the players I had on sort of my standby list, I guess, and um, my substitutes bench. I was thinking I could probably include Kudus. I wasn't sure where though, because obviously, yeah, like you mentioned, he did sort of play in the in the forward line in their later group stage games. But in the first game, he was very much, pretty much in central midfield. Um, so I was tempted to put him as one of my central midfielders and, and change things up. But I preferred him when he was further advanced. Um, and yeah, it was incredible throughout the group stages, sort of carrying on that form that he showed for Ajax this season um, in both the Eredivisie and the Champions League. Obviously, he was bizarrely linked with a transfer away to Everton um, in the summer. I'm not sure if that ever had any chance of materialising, but he hasn't. He wasn't particularly fancied under Ten Hag at Ajax. Um, there was obviously issues off the pitch, like he just wasn't weirdly wasn't getting much game time, um, despite having you know, impressive cameos when he did play. Um, but this season, yeah, being given a chance, being given the chance to be Arctic's main man, um, with the likes of Anthony and Seb Haller leaving. Um, and yeah, he's, he's been brilliant for Arctic and he was really good in this tournament. And I was, I was very close to picking him, but I didn't end up going for him. I think mainly just due to the fact that he was knocked out in the group stage. And then maybe that isn't, it's a little bit harsher to leave someone out just because they only played in the group stages. But I decided to go for players who, all, all made it through to the last 16 at least just so you have at least four games to, to choose from but yeah I respected for picking Kudos because I thought it was brilliant for that as well and yeah, no, I just thought from the teams that were remaining in terms of last 16 I, I don't think there was a, you know, a forward a, a centre forward that performed better than Kudos did in the group stages and I also think he's bounced back well from a, a lengthy spell on the sidelines as well because there was, there was an injury he had one or two seasons ago that he was out for you know a, well over half the year and, and mm-hmm. a lot of the time it can sort of you know make or break a career that sort of rehab period and he, he's bounced back in spectacular fashion yeah he has indeed um and i think that our left wing slot is going to be the exact same um it would be very weird if it wasn't i'm guessing yours is also killing mbappe i went usman the belly sorry <laughs> no nah, i went i went McFrappe, yeah yeah, Fair, obviously, yeah, yeah, gold, golden boot winner. Um, scored a hat trick in the final. Um, I'm not, you know, brace versus Poland as well. That were both incredible goals. 
an unbelievable tournament. Obviously, was incredible at 2018 when he was playing as the right winger in France's 4-4-2 in a 4-3-3, playing on the left this time. Obviously, moved to number nine position on occasions as well. And yeah, it was just brilliant. And it's to the surprise of absolutely no one because he is probably the world's best player, I think, right now, along with Messi. Um, and yeah, just, just showing how good he was on the world stage. And it's no surprise. I think going into this tournament, I think we both could have predicted that Mbappe would make our team in the tournament as well. Yeah. Um, isn't it amazing what sort of World Cup does for your sort of stock image and legacy? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think... I think when Mbappe retires, there'll be a lot of people who only really took into football when the World Cup comes around who will think he's the best player ever because they'll have probably, well, the rate he's going at, he'll probably have like 25 <laughs> World Cup goals or something yeah. like that. Um, you know, like the World Cup for, for most people is like the only football they, they watch and that, that has a big sort of say on how you're sort of remembered as a player. Um I think that that's sort of shown in the the, the pre-match chat I was hearing about Man City, Liverpool today, when people were saying uh, on on the radio, you have to get Haaland and Alvarez into the team. I just thought, they've been fooled by the World Cup pump fake. It happens (laughs) all the time. Just because Alvarez had a great World Cup, it doesn't mean... The World Cup doesn't make... It doesn't define a player. It probably does in terms of their legacy, but in terms of changing your entire system just to fit in one player who scored four goals, it it, it, it just doesn't really make sense to me. But that's the sort of chat that's going to be going around sort of um, punditry and panels for, for the next month or two is look how well he played at the World Cup. He has to be in the team. He has to do that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I just want to say it's going to really, really get on my nerves. So just yeah, th- <laughs> thanks for letting me vent that. Yeah, that's that's fine, mate. Go off. Um, I don't know how we managed. You managed to get onto Julian Alvarez when talking about killing Mbappe, but but fair play. Um, yeah, Mbappe obviously is now what two tournaments and he scored twelve goals. Um, and you imagine he's got at least two tournaments left in him, if not maybe three. Um, so yeah, he's if he doesn't break closest record for World Cup goals, then I will be very very surprised. And there must have gone something must have gone wrong in his career, whether that's injury or a sudden loss in form. Um. Because he needs what four to equal it and and five to to break it and mm. was he scored eight in this tournament so he could well do that um in twenty twenty six which would would be incredible and yeah fully deserving of being in our teams and probably if if France had won that final he would have won the golden ball I think that just is what would have happened like if he'd even if he hadn't scored the hat trick in the final I think he probably would have won the golden ball um ahead of Messi but with, especially with the hat trick. If France had managed to win that shootout, I think the golden ball probably would have gone to Mbappe. Um, and yeah, so I, I think he would have been a deserving winner, just like Messi, because yeah, especially that final. Obviously, he was pretty absent, like we mentioned in our um, final review for for most of the game, but sort of just turned it on and started on that after what seventy minutes when he scored his first penalty. Um, and yeah, deserving of being in both our team of the tournaments. <laughs> Right then, that's about wrapped it up um, for this episode. We've obviously 
a little bit touched on the Carabao Cup. Obviously, Jamie going to Old Trafford, watching Manchester United's win over Burnley, and then obviously Man City's win over Liverpool, and then sort of just discussed our team of the tournament. Obviously, the caveat was that we were only allowed one player per nation, um, so we didn't think that Harry Suter was one of the best two centre-backs um, in the World Cup, out of everyone included, um, although it was very good. Um, but that is obviously we had to include only one player from each nation. Um, but Jamie, I thought it was a, a thoroughly enjoyable uh, episode. Obviously, some players were, were similar, the exact same for us, but um, there was we took slightly different directions with regards to our teams and, and wanting different players from, from na- different nations in each position. Um, so, yeah, who, uh, do you think your team is better than mine? I'm assuming uh, you do. Uh, I, 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 I would probably back it, yeah. Um <laughs> I'm I'm just thinking in terms of what players we had the same. So we had Suta, we had Blind, Casemiro, Bruno, and Vape and Messi. Is that yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And then here's where the you know, the difference makers come in because you know by sheer you know laws of physics, when you match up against each other, you're gonna you know sort of even each other out. Um, Kudus better than Saka, Bellingham. You think Kudus was better than Saka in a tournament? Well, I'm going to back my own corner, aren't I? Um, okay, I Bellingham, Bellingham get better than Unahi. You don't believe that. I know you don't. Uh, Koulibaly. <laughs> better than... Who did he pick? Rodri. There's no way. Yes. More clearances, mate. 7.5 clearances. <laughs> I, I, I just win by sheer clearance. That, that's, that, that's what counts, is it? Okay. And Lavakovic better than... Yeah, better than she hasn't earned a in the competition. Um... Uh, Yuanovic, Hakimi. Oh, yeah. I think that's a close shout. I think that's a close shout. I think they're very closely matched team. We'll have to put a poll out on Twitter and whoever whoever the people decide is better will we'll go with that. I'll make I'll make a graphic and we'll put a poll on Twitter. Um so if you listen to this and you haven't voted on our poll and it's still live, then go over on Twitter and vote for which team you think out of mine and Jamie's is better. Um yeah, but that about wraps it up. Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, thank you for your continued support. Um, I think this will be our last, yeah, will be our last episode um, before Christmas. So Merry Christmas to you all. Um, we'll be back after Christmas to discuss the Boxing Day games um, and all, obviously European football. The leagues are back, uh, at least some of them are, um, this weekend Ooh, yeah, after yeah. Christmas. Yeah. So, yeah. What, yeah, what, what, league, what, what leagues are back, actually? So we've also got Premier League. So Serie A doesn't come back till January, uh, mid-January. Uh, right, okay, so there's League 1 action on the 28th. Nice, I think that might be it, unless there's La Liga. Uh... Yes, there's La Liga on the 29th and 30th, um, but that might be in a separate episode. Um, we'll figure it out closer to the time. Um, but yeah, that should be good. Looking forward to getting back stuck into some proper club football um, yeah. league action. Obviously, it feels weird, yeah, just discuss. It felt weird um, the last two nights just watching players who were just about you know, a week and a half ago playing at the World Cup, just playing in the Carabao Cup again. I just keep expecting them to have a longer break than they've had, but already back into action and back into the full flow of things. So, yeah, looking forward to club football. Um, thank you very much for listening. Give us a, a like, a follow on a Spotify, Apple podcast. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. And we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.